Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There is just one thing I need. Testing one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five. Welcome to this week's episode of The Read Out Loud, a weekly biotech podcast from STAT. I'm Allison DeAngelis. I'm Adam Feuerstein. And I'm Damian Gordon. It's Thursday, December 21st, and here's what we're going to talk about this week. It's our final episode of 2023, so we'll look back on the biggest stories of the year, and we'll also look ahead to 2024. But first, a word from our sponsor. Stat has officially launched our first summit of 2024. Join us March 21st in New York City for Stat Breakthrough Summit East. This year's event will center on one important question. What does focusing on patients really mean? We'll explore this question broadly in biotech, life sciences, and health tech, gathering top experts, C-suite leaders, and of course patients to come up with real answers about the tools and technologies that deliver scientific breakthroughs to the people who need them. Early bird tickets are available now through January 14th. Secure your STAT Breakthrough Summit East ticket today at statnews.com events and save up to $250 during our early bird sale. That's statnews.com events. Damien, I think you had, there was a little bit of a Grinch in that voice of yours when yeah, you said that. Yeah, there was a little Grinch. I don't know. You, just have, you, don't, you don't have the holiday spirit. Where like. is your Christmas spirit? Come on, Damien. I'm working my way up to it. Really? Let's say, perhaps. It's a slow, uh, yeah, it's a slow roll. I don't want to be too Christmassy all at once. You don't want to peak then, too you know, early. <laughs> exactly. That's good. You're, you're exactly. yeah, pacing yourself. That's good. Smart. Smart man. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. Does anyone have any thoughts about 2023? This is going to be a really freewheeling episode. Just warning right up the top, folks. We have no idea where this is going. So let's just roll with it. Well, Adam, I was going to ask you to lead us through the thought process for your annual tradition. Oh, yes. Picking the best and worst CEOs in biotech and We pharma. could start there. Sure. <laughs> sure. Let's do that. I, for, the, for the listeners, I mean, how far in advance does this list, you know, start getting formulated? You know, I would, I would like to say that this is something that I think about all year round, but I do not. And usually somewhere around Thanksgiving, I remember that I have to do this, or not that I have to do this, that I like to do this. I shouldn't say I have to do this. Um, and so then I, I think about it and I put together, um, I'm a pen and paper kind of person, so I just start jotting down names and companies in my notebook of uh, kind of a, a list of potential nominees for the the best and the worst list. Um, and I sometimes reach out to certain folks and get their input. Like, I, Allison, I think I reached out to you and asked you, you did. for some advice. You did. Yeah. You know, Damien, I think I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't know if I reached out to you this year, but I have in the past. Wow. Damien you know, got rejected. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, yeah, so that's how it all happens. It's it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, to, to kind of take people through it, who were on your best and worst list this year? There wasn't a lot of suspense for the uh, best CEO, biopharma CEO this year, right? I mean, come on. David Ricks, Eli Lilly, Glip One, blah, 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 blah. How many times have we talked about <laughs> obesity and Glip One and Zepbound and Munjaro, blah, blah, blah. You know, they had an incredible year. Eli Lilly, I mean, the stock was up like 60% this year. You know, we had the whole episode. Remember the whole episode we had where we we sort of uh, talked about the or speculated that they could be the first trillion dollar uh, healthcare company? I mean, you know, just just for the fact that we dedicated an episode to that means that David Ricks is the best biopharma CEO of the year. Oh, yeah. I remember every single one of our episodes that we. That was a good episode. I like that one. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely do not remember. I think. um, Well, so I'm spoiling this, but the the worst CEO uh, on your list was Albert Borla of Pfizer, which you know maybe didn't come as a surprise to people. Maybe it did, Um, but it was interesting to think about Ricks and Borla as not in opposition to one another, but in many ways, I think what landed Ricks on that list and what accounts for Lily's very, very good year is what people on Wall Street would describe as counter-cyclical investment, if that makes sense. The the GLP-1 story and the fervor over these medicines promise in obesity is relatively novel to those of us on the outside, but the reason Lily is participating in it is because of decisions that they made when this was simply hypothetical and investments accordingly. And I think that the same thing is true, albeit maybe with a little less attention, in Alzheimer's disease, where Lilly has a medicine that is awaiting approval. It's an anti-amyloid Alzheimer's treatment, but they are also developing, almost on the same timeline, a subcutaneous anti-amyloid Alzheimer's disease treatment that conceivably would knock that one off the market once it's available. And so Lily has a history, especially under Rick's, of not putting itself in situations where there is fear of a patent cliff. They are often developing the thing that will best their current thing while that current thing is still making money for them. And that's true in obesity as well. And looking to Albert Borla, and Adam, you can expand on why he's on the list, but I think it's fair to say that Pfizer had a world historic windfall from COVID-19 because of its vaccine and its treatment. And the rough year that the company had in 2023 is in many ways the result of them perhaps not doing the kind of wise investing that put David Ricks on the other side of the list. So let me start off by saying, Damien, that you have provided us with deeper thought and perspective on my best and worst list than I would have ever (laughs) done on my own. I mean, I'm sitting here listening to you. I'm like, damn, that is impressive. Um, Because I don't put that much thought into it. No. (laughs) Um, So thank you for that, Damien. Um, But yes, I think you you are right. Uh, And I think, you know, I I think there was a little bit of pushback on on Pfizer, Borla, worst CEO, just because, you know, is it fair to say, is it fair to criticize him for the uh, COVID hangover, however, whatever you want to call it? And, and I don't think I, nece- I don't think he's necessarily on the list because, you know, sales went from a hundred billion dollars to wherever they landed. I, I can't remember now, but you know, obviously there was a huge uh, drop off in Pfizer revenue, and that that hundred billion dollars that was like a an outlier. 
Um, but it, but to your point, Damien, it was more that um, the things that they were doing to try to uh, obviously they knew this was going to happen. Um, they didn't manage it very well, but uh, the things that they were doing to try to make up for that um, didn't work. You know, there were a lot of I think they had a lot of setbacks. Um, in the clinic, you know, clinical development programs that they thought had a lot of promise in, you know, obesity, clip one, they've had some setbacks there. Um, so I, I think that's probably more why he's on there. And, and, you know, and they kitchen synced 2024, right, when they gave guidance. So, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, there's only up from here. And next year, maybe, maybe Albert Borla is the best CEO of 2024. We'll, we'll see. Well, even beyond what's in their current pipeline, there were some interesting um, moments where like ex-Pfizer products that had gotten like handed off and like sold relatively cheaply to other startups like Cerevel ended up getting acquired this year for like seven or eight billion dollars, which I mean, raises the question, yeah, of of where kind of is the, the visionary thinking within Pfizer for the future. Whereas, I mean, Eli Lilly, to go back to, to Damien's, I mean, very apt comparison, um, <laughs> Eli Lilly clearly is exhibiting visionary thinking um, in 2023, and I would imagine beyond. Yeah, there were, I mean, I think, Alison, to your point, you're right, the Cerebell is a good one, right? Because that was a spin out of Pfizer, and they, you know, spun out, had a separate company, and and then they got bought. And, and then there was the whole uh, Roy Vant, um, thing the, the drug the you know the uh you know the the drug for autoimmune disease that that they sort of basically i don't know they didn't give it to Roy Vant but they they licensed it to Roy Vant for a relatively little, small amount of money and then mm-hmm. you know Roy Vant went ahead and um spun that you know sold that off for billions of dollars so that seems like uh, a misstep from Pfizer's perspective so if we're thinking about 2024 Damien you had written a little piece this week kind of thinking about like where glip ones will go and i feel like that's kind of i mean going going to continue being one of the biggest topics uh for 2024 so much so that i really think that we should get like a little reader board for inside of the stat offices that says like x number of days since we mentioned <laughs> glip one <laughs> we keep we, we'd have yeah. to reset that like every day we would have to every reset it yeah. every single day Every minute, actually, because after this podcast, I have to uh, put finishing touches on a yet another uh, GLP-1 story I'm working on with our colleagues. So look forward to that after Christmas. But but where do you think it's going to go? Well, that's, yeah. So it was kind of the only thing anybody seemed to talk about in 2023. And, and, and for, for good reason, because it seemed to be the only thing that outside of the little backwater of biopharma that actually got attention, both in terms of regular people um, but most saliently for people within biotech, it's the only thing that seemed to get attention of the generalist investors who swing trillions of dollars in, uh, in investment funds and, and, and who kind of dictate whether biotech has a good year or not. And 2023 was a very mixed year, I think, for, for similar reasons. But I think in large part, 2023 was kind of a year of magical thinking for GLP-1s. We talked about this in the past that you know, there would be a press release from Novo Nordisk and it would move the stock of like American Airlines, which is sort of an absurdity. I mean, it requires you to fill in using your imagination 
how the availability of a very powerful weight loss medicine will reshape the world as you know it. And it may or it may not. Um, but I think we saw a lot of, especially on the stock market, a lot of things react as though the rosiest possible future or just some imagined future of these medicines was definitely going to come true. I think the difference in 2024, I don't think this topic is going to go away, but a benefit at least is there will be less magical thinking and more actual data. So with respect to this notion that these drugs are going to disrupt everything, we will see data uh, from Novo Nordisk in in MASH, the uh, fatty liver disease that some people on Wall Street seem to have kind of written off and assumed that the likes of Wegovy and Zepbound would um, decimate any demand for actual MASH drugs. We'll see data from a study there. That'll be interesting. It'll inform our thinking. Uh, we'll see data from a study in chronic kidney disease, also from Novo, and also a study in sleep apnea from Eli Lilly. And these, you know, maybe are not the massive kind of banner indications that people associate with this, but these are stepwise clues as to just what these drugs can do outside of what we already know, which is that they help people lose a lot of weight. And in the, the big Novo study that they appear to um, prevent certain cardiovascular problems later in life. And so I think, and I look forward to this, I think the conversation around these drugs is going to get a little sharper, a little more rich with detail and a little less based on supposition and all of the spreadsheet wonders that people on Wall Street can do when calculating that, you know, this is going to be a trillion dollar market or whatever the the uh, most overheated projection is. So Allison, is there anything that you're looking forward to for 2024? What's on your radar screen? My radar screen. Beep, beep, <laughs> beep, beep, beep. <laughs> my, my whittle radar screen. My whittle radar screen. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was going to say um, <laughs> one thing I, I noticed uh, Damien do, which if I'm going to make a, a New Year's resolution for myself, I would like to burn the word disrupt to the ground, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> particularly when talking about like the startup space. Um, so if you see me use it next year, please, I mean, feel free to call me I think me we need to disrupt disruption. <sighs> wow. That's, no, no. Deep. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like my mind, the only thing on my mind right now for 2024 is JP Morgan and trying to squeeze meetings into an already overpacked calendar. No, wait, um, wait a second. Allison, meetings. Let's let's be clear. Allison has I saw Allison's <laughs> calendar for JP Morgan week and like all of her quote unquote meetings start at 6 p.m. So like she's going to every party <laughs> at JP Morgan. <laughs> Do you think that Stat would expense one of those like services that does like an IV Meetings the next morning to like rehydrate in quotations. you? <laughs> oh. I mean I I'm all for it and I think and I what did I tell you, Allison? I think you will probably get more information and learn more by doing the JPM week sort of party circuit than you will <laughs> sitting in a hotel room listening to someone talk about how they're disrupting X, Y, or Z. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Quite, quite possibly. Though I am curious to hear from, you know, all the startups that I, I do have the occasional daylight meeting, Adam, I will, I will assert. Um, <laughs> we're all going. This, uh, the three of us are all going to JP, JP Morgan. We are. Year. And we're going to be recording from 
JP Morgan, uh, we're going to have your podcast episode that week from Stats Coworking Space, which you know, is available for our subscribers. Um, so, you know, if you see us on the street, say hi, don't be a stranger. Um, but I'm, I, I mean, thinking about one of the things that's emerged kind of in the last weeks of this year, which is going to be probably a big topic of conversation at JP Morgan, is what we're going to do about the FTC and its decision now to get involved in licensing deals and and collaborations, um, which is the lifeblood of biotech and pharma and has been in 2023 one of the only reliable sources of money for these startups as <laughs> private financing has has dwindled. Um, I mean, JP Morgan being the deal-making conference of the year, I, I imagine that that will be a hot-button topic at the conference. Yeah, I'm very curious about that. I mean, we spoke about this at length on last week's podcast, and we don't need to delve back into the details of that. But the notion of, an, I don't want to say activist, but uh, an FTC that is taking keen interest in something that it didn't seem to take such a keen interest in in the past, whether that is now on the list of, I don't want to say anxieties either, but on the list of things that people in this space, as you mentioned, JP Morgan is very much like a cattle call for conversations that often down the road lead to transactions, whether they be licensing deals or acquisitions, but whether this notion of, you know, will this trigger the FTC's concerns, whether that will enter the conversation even on a small and relatively quotidian licensing deal rather than just, you know, a potential merger where there's an obvious risk of that. Adam, it sounds like your JP Morgan is largely going to be pre-sunset uh, <laughs> relative to Allison's, but what are you looking forward to? Yeah, I'm, at yeah the I, I will be doing more morning. I mean, not morning. Well, I am morning and day meetings. Um, you know, I'm taking a little bit of a different uh, tact uh, to JP Morgan this year. Normally, I spend much of my time inside the Westin St. Francis, which is the hotel where the actual JP Morgan healthcare conference happens, you know, where all the companies present and we are, um, you know, we're crammed into tiny rooms uh, and uh, everyone is generally uncomfortable. Uh, I'm not doing that this year. I have handed my JP Morgan Weston pass to our colleague, Matt Harper. He's going to be doing that. So I'm kind of free to do my own thing this year, um, which is a little bit strange because I haven't done that in a really, really, really long time. Uh, so I do have a bunch of meetings set up with companies and people. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm gonna, it's gonna be a little bit of a freeform JP Morgan week for me, which I think I'll enjoy. Adam, have you packed your galoshes for the inevitable bad JP Morgan weather? Man, last, woof, it was really rainy last year. Let's hope it's not as, uh, yeah, let's, let's hope we have better weather this year. I don't know. But yeah, you have to, you have to be prepared, right? For, for all, for all kinds of weather. Hopefully it'll be nice. Um, but you know, in terms of, in terms of things that people who are listening to this podcast actually care about, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I did make a little list of things. You know, I guess uh, you know one. Obviously, we we ended the year with uh, with the approval of uh, a CRISPR-based medicine and also a gene therapy for sickle cell. So I think we will it will take a little while, but we will see how well those uh, treatments roll out. 
to patients and payment. So I think sort of the the overarching question there is kind of the business of genetic medicines and, and how well those, you know, these sort of these scientific breakthroughs, because they most definitely are that, you know, how they translate into uh, the commercial sphere and whether these can be uh, viable businesses. And I think that will be something interesting to look at in 2024. At the same time, uh, Damien, you mentioned Lilly and its Alzheimer's drug, which, you know, if it's probably going to get approved, if not before the end of the year, very early uh, in January. So then we'll have two amyloid-targeted antibodies that will be on the market, and uh, you know we'll see how those we'll see how those do in 2024. So, you know, from a kind of a sales, marketing, commercial side, I think those are two really uh, interesting interesting stories. And, and you also mentioned uh, Mash. You know, which is the new Nash with an N. We now we now we refer to it as Mash with an N, the fatty liver disease. Um, Madrigal Pharmaceuticals has uh, has their Mash drug uh, under review at the FDA. I think the particular date is in March. Um, as you mentioned, this has been a field uh, greatly impacted, at least from a sentiment perspective, by all of the GLP one obesity stuff. So. We'll get to see what uh, what that you know. Well, obviously, first whether or not it gets approved, and then uh, if it does get approved, how well uh, a drug like that launches. The other thing on on the calendar in twenty twenty four, and we've mostly avoided talking about this, I think, for our own sanity, but it is uh, famously an election year here in the United States of America, a presidential election year at that, and. Historically, those are volatile propositions for biotech. If you look back in the 2016 cycle, I remember there was a day where Hillary Clinton tweeted about uh, Martin Shkreli, and it like tanked the XBI. Oh, I remember that. Such panic. <laughs> yeah. What was going to happen? Of course, uh, at that time, uh, the presumption widely and certainly in biotech and probably around the world was that Hillary Clinton was the next president of the United States. That is not how the 20. 20- 16 cycle played out, which maybe is just more evidence of the broader volatility that comes with this. But I think it's a it, it's a tough proposition for the drug industry because the drug industry is very unpopular. And thus, it is a good move politically to bill yourself as someone who is going to rein in pharmaceuticals, specifically with drug pricing. And if we may presume that the respective Democratic and Republican nominees will be Joe Biden and Donald Trump, Neither is a guarantee. Speaking of volatility, but I think it's a that that's the that can be the base case. Let's say for our analysis, um, neither of them is famously a friend to the pharmaceutical industry. The Trump administration was relatively light on substantive policy changes that really harmed the drug industry, but Trump himself, at least rhetorically. Um, has never been terribly <laughs> congratulatory. He's, he famously described the industry as getting away with murder. I think that was in the 2016 cycle. And there were he, you know, he endorsed um, letting Medicare negotiate drug prices, something that has since been instituted by Joe Biden. It's Joe Biden's probably signature legislative success of, of these last three and a half years or however long. And also there was an executive order laid in the Trump administration to do, you know, international index pricing didn't really go anywhere. Uh, but my point is, neither of these guys is a friend to pharma. And so when presumably they are both blanketing the airways with TV ads and appearing uh, on various news programs and in, in uh, they probably won't actually debate one another, will they? My point is, <laughs> 2024 is yet another election cycle. And history suggests that that is often a difficult time for the drug industry, even if it doesn't necessarily portend 
policy changes that actually affect the bottom lines of these companies. Yeah, to that to that point, Damien, I was just talking to an investor uh, this week, and we were talking about you know how investors have been faring, the lack of exits. So inevitably, inevitably started talking about you know the IPO window and everything. And and his stance was he brought up that it you know twenty twenty four is going to be an election year, and generally I think with the the Fed deciding that there were gonna, are going to be no more rate hikes, that has kind of fostered you know hope that there is going to be an IPO window opening up for biotech startups. There's this huge line of of startups that are kind of like in all awaiting to go public and and give their investors an exit. But his stance was that look after June, everybody's going to be focusing on the election. So it's really like a, a going to be a tricky year once again for biotech and f- probably for the XBI as everybody kind of, you know, halfway through the year starts holding their breath to see what happens. Neither option of which seems to be terribly favorable for the drug industry, though, I mean, it, it kind of remains to it will it remains to be seen how that will play out. In the long term, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, Donald Trump, for all of his rhetoric, never made specific, a lot of specific policy uh, mandates that harmed the drug industry. But come June, it sounds like a lot of uh, a lot of people are going to be kind of nervously watching the election sphere. I have one more thing that I'm looking forward to in 2024. Can I tell you what it is? Absolutely. Please. Spending Thursdays with you guys recording <laughs> more episodes of The Read Out Loud. Aww. Adam, what do you wow. want? What are you buttering us up for? I'm just trying to end this podcast. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I should wow. also note that we are also grateful to all of the listeners of The Read Out Loud podcast. Um, you know, you guys, uh, your support and... The fact that you download us and listen to us, uh, whatever you're doing on a weekend or whenever you listen to us, uh, means a a lot to us and we appreciate. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this year's episodes and we'll bring you many more in 2024. That was beautiful. That That was a nice way to end. All right. So let's do the real outro now. (laughs) That does it for another episode of The Read Out Loud. Thank you to Teresa Gaffney for producing this week's episode and all of this year's episodes, or at least most of them, as far as I can recall. Our senior producers are Hyacinth Empanado and Alyssa Ambrose. Our executive producer is Rick Burke, and our theme music is by Brian Joel. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you like about this week's episode, what you didn't like, and I don't know, give us some topics to talk about in 2024. You can do all that by sending us an email at readoutloud at statnews.com. And if you like what we do, leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you use to get your podcast and guys guys we're not gonna see you next week we're gonna see you next year i had i had a good friend who was a theater kid you're a mean one mr grinch you really are a pest i don't know all the lyrics to that to the grinch song I was going to change the subject. Sorry, I'm really struggling. Well, um, some, oh, ask me what I'm looking forward to. I don't think she has to edit it at all. I think she can just put it out in the world. <laughs>